Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Well, amen, church family. It's so good to see you today. We missed you. Thank you for praying for our trip. It's so good to be with our family. I don't know if any of you have been to the uh, uh, Rocky Mountain area, Rocky Mountain uh, National Park, uh, but I'll tell you, uh, it just gives you a little bit of glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. The beauty is amazing. And you know, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and, uh, which means it was beautiful, more beautiful before the fall and it's going to be even more beautiful after our redemption, and the Lord uh, makes that new heaven and new earth, and uh, we're going to get to, uh, if you hadn't been out there, you'll get to see it. It'll be even more beautiful then. Amen? So, oh, did you have a picture? Anyway, it was, okay, well, all right, good. So, uh, it's just awesome, and thank you so much. It was a great time to be able to be with our family. We enjoyed that that time together. Uh, Thank you to Hunter for faithfully preaching the word um, last Sunday. I know you were blessed. I've heard some of you say so. And uh, not only, Hunter, did I have someone say they're blessed by it, but it it impacted their lives in obedience. And that's what it's all about, to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Amen. So let me invite you today to turn to Matthew chapter 16. We have been in the gospel of Luke. We're going to once again step out for a little while. We're going to be uh, preaching a series through the, uh, for several weeks in the summer here on, uh, we've entitled the series, Membership Matters. Membership Matters. And you will perhaps recognize that. You've been seeing that, that, um, that term uh, because uh, for a number of months, uh, probably maybe close to a year now, our, our staff and our uh, our deacon uh, body has been working through, praying through uh, this special uh, emphasis uh, related to uh, our membership. Uh, I've had a, a growing conviction as a pastor through the years that that we were just, uh, and I'm not speaking just as our church, but but the church, other churches I've pastored as well, that we have largely um, left the biblical mandate and biblical standards related to membership. And, and uh, it was kind of like, where do we start? What do we do? And how do we get there? And we've talked about the fact and, uh, that, that many of our churches, uh, 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 somewhere close to 80% or more, 85%, the exact number I don't re- recall, uh, are plateaued or declining, many declining. And we understand that as a church. We experience it ourselves. And, and so, um, so the question then is, well, what do we do about that? How did we get here, and, and what do we do about it? And, and uh, many uh, in, in our denomination and, and in other churches as well have just come to the conviction that much of the problem has, has been related to this matter of, of membership, that we have ignored and moved away from the biblical teaching and standards of, of membership. Uh, and that we, uh, we have been maybe uh, tried to be aggressive in reaching out to people and inviting people to come, and, but in many cases we have not carefully examined people. People uh, join maybe in one Sunday, and I've had cases in my life in, as, as a pastor where people have joined and never saw them again. And, uh, and so, uh, again, we, have we really uh, been biblical in regard to this matter of, of church um, membership? 
Uh, and I believe the answer, uh, across our denomination at least, has been no. So we're seeking and desiring and praying uh, to be biblical in regard to what membership means. Uh, and so again, we put together this, uh, this ministry, uh, this uh, this uh, emphasis called Membership Matters. And in, in this, we have, we've uh, identified at least three phases to this ministry. And really, phases um, uh, really are, are uh, maybe not exactly the right terminology because really, this is to be ongoing. The first one that we are involved in right now is what we're calling restoration. And um, that too, that's a biblical concept, to be restored. And so we are seeking to restore inactive members of our church. And so right now, our deacons and our staff and, uh, and others uh, as well, Sunday school leaders, we're encouraging really the whole church to be a part of this because it is a church function to seek to restore people who are no longer uh, actively involved in our church. We've been making visits and encouraging people to return and sharing with them about the, the, the biblical uh, teaching and principles of membership and seeking to restore them. And uh, we have seen, uh, we've, I believe we've seen some great opportunities. We also have a phone team that are, that are trying to contact them. This past week we had another training and we have people involved in that. But again, we want the whole church family involved in this. So if you haven't yet gotten on board with us, please make yourself available and we want to encourage you. To, and we have, we've put together some materials to help us both in visiting as well as in phone uh, calls and, and just reaching out to people who are on our rolls uh, who are no longer actively involved in the life of our church family. So this restoration phase will be continuing throughout the summer months. And then we're uh, then the second phase of this ministry, we're calling a reaffirmation phase. And just asking, as, and, and by the way, simultaneously to this, we, our church elected a, a, a bylaws and constitu, constitution and bylaws revision team that are, that are uh, just revising our bylaws and constitution uh, just to, particularly in the areas of membership. And, and just, uh, again, wanting to be uh, biblical in regard to the way we handle membership. Uh, and, and those will be coming to you from this team uh, probably within the next few weeks. We'll be making you aware of that when that time comes. And again, we've had a church covenant, but quite frankly, most of us don't know about it and aren't aware of it. And we, we want to be, we are called to be covenant people and to, uh, to uh, obey and fulfill that covenant. So, uh, so we'll be, again, bringing that to you. Uh, and then, so during this reaffirmation time, we're, we're just going to call upon our church family to reaffirm uh, their commitment to uh, the, uh, the, the body of Christ here called Lucy Baptist Church. And we'll be letting you know more about that. That'll be a phase that we'll ask your, um, your approval as a church family, and you'll hear more about that. And then, then the next phase, phase three, which is ongoing, is what we're calling the revitalization phase. And again, uh, that's something we want to see now. It's not just something we want to wait on. We want to, we want to see God do a great work of revival and, and that's something we, uh, God must do. We must be obedient. And, uh, but we're crying out to God to bring revival and to revitalize our church so that we can uh, be used of the Lord to be obedient uh, to the great commandment and the great commission and to uh, see God honor that. And we believe being a biblical, uh, be biblical in regard to our membership is something that will honor God and please God. And, and, uh, and we're praying that he will bless that by, and, and as a result of that, bring uh, revitalization and revival to our church. So that's just sort of an a, um, overview of this, and we'll, you'll be hearing more about it. And, uh, but I want you to be uh, aware of that. Uh, and today we're going to begin with Matthew 16. It is the, 
the um, first time the word church is used in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus is the first one to use this term, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Let me begin by sharing a little, uh, little story with you. I hesitate to call it a testimony. It's kind of a little story. When, uh, when Karen and I, our family, served, uh, served, were serving uh, in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, I decided to join the Lions Club. And um, uh, it was, uh, it, it, I, I thought, well, this will be a good way to meet people outside of our local church, to build relationships um, in our community. My dad was a member of the Lions Club, and uh, my mom later, when women were allowed to join, my mom joined the Lions Club. And I thought, well, I can kind of carry on the tradition, you know, of our family. And also the line raises money for, um, for sight and so forth. And so I thought it was a good cause. And I didn't know of any, anything about the Lions Club that would hinder me. Didn't think they compromised in any areas that I thought would hinder my testimony. Uh, and they met near our church building and, uh, in, um, in Lawrenceburg. And they had a meal every week. So naturally that kind of, it was good. So I thought, this is great. So, uh, so I began to go, and, and I served for a while, but you know, um, I was a busy uh, family man and busy pastor, and so I began to realize this is just not going to work for me, and I, I just can't give this what it's really needed and do everything else I need to do. To do. So I became a Lions Club dropout, okay? Uh, and, and I have a feeling today, if you were to go somewhere to the records of Lions Club membership... Uh, in, in Lawrenceburg or wherever, you would not find my name unless it would have said Lions Club dropout or former member or something like that. But you know what? Do you think that offends me? Not at all. Uh, I understand and understood that if I weren't willing to participate, if I weren't willing to live up to what was expected of a member of the Lions Club, I shouldn't be a member of the Lions Club. I understand that. And uh, so I'm not, I'm not the least bit disturbed or affected by that. But you know what? Many people join the church the same way. Uh, they, at some point in their lives, whether as a child, maybe as a young person, or even an adult, they make a profession of faith. Uh, they are baptized, and they join a church. Maybe even they move their membership from one church to another. And, and so, uh, but something happens along the way. Some of them lose interest. Some grow up get busy, get married, and they, they uh, lose interest. Uh, some of them, uh, again, get busy with life. Some of them get offended, and they're not, no longer involved because something happened that offended them, and they dropped out along the way. Uh, again, others, and quite frankly, one of the things we've encountered with people we have gone to visit to seek to restore, we found out some of them no longer even claim to be a believer. They would not even profess that they know Christ, and they're honest enough to say, I don't believe that anymore, and that's not who I am anymore. And yet, the truth of the matter is, many of them, their names still remain on our church rolls. And, uh, and, and that's the case all the way, again, across our denomination. I'm sure it's probably true in some other denominations as well. Uh, but, you know, uh, some may ask, though, when we talk about this matter of membership, church membership, they ask the question, does it really matter? And there are many in our day who say, nah, it's no big deal. Membership is not really a big deal. You can have it, you can, you can not have it. It's optional. You know, they, they would say to you, in essence, as long as you know the Lord, as long as you know Christ, as long as you are in the universal church, they would say, perhaps, it doesn't really matter whether you're a member. Uh, and so they treat it like it's optional, like it's really no big deal. 
Uh, and so uh, I want us this, during this series to examine Scripture. We're going to be examining some familiar passages, no doubt, uh, in the light of this matter of, the, uh, of church membership. Does it matter? Is it biblical? And in this passage today, the probably most prominent passage on the church, we're going to look at this subject. So I'm going to invite you with your Bibles open there to Matthew chapter 16 to stand with me if you're able, and let's read um, this passage together. Matthew chapter 16, and we'll begin with verse number 13. And when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that, that he was Jesus the Christ. And from this passage today, I want to bring a message entitled, Membership Matters Because Jesus is the Founder and Builder of His Church. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity for worship. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the cornerstone. We thank you that we are your church, that you are the founder of the church. Thank you that you are the, the owner, the builder, the sustainer of the church. We are your church, Lord Jesus, and what a great and awesome privilege. Thank you that you love the church and you gave yourself for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you purchased us with your own precious blood. Lord, I pray you'll bless this message today. Speak to our hearts, Father. Help us to understand the truth and why uh, this passage and what this passage teaches us about the importance of being a part of the body of Christ called the local church. And Lord, I pray that you will continue to increase our burden and vision for this. And, uh, and Lord, not only today, but in the days to come. We love you, and Lord, we pray for any who don't know you, who are not a part of your church, that they would recognize their need for you today. And so just be glorified in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen. You may be seated. Well, I think, again, you would, I don't think anyone here today would say the, the church is not important. Uh, that's why you're here. You believe that it is. But maybe, again, you might say, but this matter of church membership, um, you know, do we really see that in the Bible? Is it really biblical? And obviously, we don't have uh, biblical records of how people uh, reunited with the church in, in this day and time in the early church and, and uh, what was their methodology. We don't have that. Obviously, the, the Lord has given us liberty in regard to some of these things. But I believe the answer to, is, the, is church membership biblical? The answer is a resounding yes. And I want to share today with you, and I'm not going to go into great 
great detail. We'll, we'll have time to look over that as we continue in this process. But let me just mention a few of what I believe are biblical evidences for church membership. Uh, first of all, the, the very word church and uh, it, it, the, that the Holy Spirit chose. The word in the Greek language is the word ekklesia. And, uh, and this, uh, this word uh, comes from two words. The word ek means out of, and kaleo means to call out, to call, or rather to, together they mean to call out. And uh, it was used, by the way, in the, the Septuagint, which is the, the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, you know it was written in Hebrew, but there was a Septuagint, which was a Greek translation. And they would always translate the, the word, uh, that the, which is the word synagogue, they would translate it with this word ek. Ecclesia, a called out assembly. And, and so that was the word used for God's people, an assembly of God's people that was called out. They would come together for the purpose of worship. It was a theocracy in which God ruled them. Uh, and, and so in that sense of the word, but, but in the New Testament sense, or even in the Greek uh, culture, this word was used to speak of a, an assembly of, uh, within the Greek city-states, that they would have an assembly of people. They had to meet certain qualifications that they had to meet in order to be a part of uh, this assembly. And so just the whole idea of an assembly means a group that, that is specific and that comes together. And that's the word that the Holy Spirit used, the word that the Lord Jesus used here in this passage to speak of his people, assembly of citizens that are regularly summoned, not just someone who's on a roll, but a people who assemble. Uh, this word, by the way, in the New Testament is used 114 times, and at least 90 of those times are in reference to a local church. So most of the references in the New Testament that use the word ecclesia, church, uh, are, uh, again, a local assembly, a local church. So that's the first uh, evidence, I believe, that it, is, uh, it, it does matter and it's biblical. Secondly, on the day of Pentecost, when we see uh, that the Holy Spirit came uh, to empower uh, the church, many believe to be the, the birth of the church, but certainly the empowering of the church. On that day, the Bible says there were about 3,000 saved, they were baptized, and they were added to the church. And so uh, certainly the Lord was keeping up with who was being added. And I believe there's evidence here that the church was keeping up with who was being added. They were a part of that assembly, part of that church. We see that in Acts chapter 2. And then, uh, and they continue to be added, we read, as you read about them throughout the book of Acts. Again, thirdly, the church knew who their membership was. And one of the ways we know that was because uh, the first incident uh, that occurred, the first uh, conflict, if you will, that occurred in the church is in Acts chapter 6 when some of the widows were being neglected. Well, obviously, they knew what widows were theirs. They knew who they were, and they knew who was being cared for and who wasn't being cared for. So they, they obviously, and other uh, evidence in, in, the, uh, in, the other, in the epistles that Paul wrote and Timothy uh, give us indication that they had, they had an understanding of who was there and who they were to minister to. And that was true overall. When you read all the one another's in Scripture, uh, you had to know who the one another's were in order to be able to 
to, uh, to care for them and minister to them. So, so again, I believe that is a clear indication. Fourthly, the practice of church discipline is an evidence of, of biblical, um, uh, that, the, that the membership is a biblical practice. Uh, again, uh, they, we read about that in Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, and in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, among other passages. These were people who were disciplined and even who the, the Bible called for ex- being excluded. They were excluded from membership. Well, uh, you say, well, how does that show um, uh, the, the matter of membership? Well, you had to be first at one point included in order to later be excluded. Uh, so, uh, so again, that was, uh, that was an evidence that they, were, they knew who was there, they knew who they were responsible for, and they, uh, in order to carry out this matter of church discipline. You know, you and I both know, though sometimes we may uh, feel like it when we go to Walmart and somebody's child is misbehaving terribly, and, uh, and you know, they're grabbing the candy at the, at the, at the uh, checkout counter, and, the, and they, you know, you're thinking to yourself, boy, I, I just wish I could discipline that child. That child needs to be disciplined. Uh, they need a good spanking. And, but you know what? Uh, I don't advise you trying to do that, all right? You can't take over the discipline of someone else's child. That'll get you in big, big trouble, especially in this day and age. Well, and again, the, the, this uh, showed that those local churches were responsible for the discipline, the loving discipline and correction of their members, not Somebody else is their own because they were responsible. So that's another reason. And then number five, the call of elders or pastors with authority in each local church. This is, uh, we read about this in Acts 14, 23. They appointed elders in every church. And then we read about the, those, uh, those, those pastors, elders, bishops in Hebrews 13, 17 that had authority over those churches and responsible uh, for the ministry and leadership of those churches. Uh, we read about them in Revelation 2 and 3 as Jesus spoke to the churches. He identified and addressed each of the, the, the angels or the messengers, the pastors pastors to those churches. So again, this revealed, uh, these are some of the biblical evidences for membership within a local body of believers. A lot more we could say, but those are just a few things, and I encourage you to jot those passages down and to, uh, to look them up and, and, and to, to be assured uh, that, biblical, that membership is biblical. Well, again, in today, today's text, um, we are going to think about it from the perspective of how membership matters. Again, because Jesus is the founder and the builder of the church. I thought about adding to that title. It could be the founder, uh, the, the, the owner, the, the builder, the sustainer. Uh, all these things are true because we are Jesus' church. So I want you to notice with me, if you will, five truths concerning this truth about why membership matters in Jesus' church. First of all, Jesus, notice, affirms the confession of his church. Jesus affirms the confession of his church. Uh, Jesus was on the road in Caesarea Philippi, which was largely a Gentile area. It was a very pagan place filled with many pagan religions. And uh, so Jesus asked two very important questions. Notice these questions here in verse 13. The first one he asked was, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? In essence, Jesus was saying, who do people say that I am? 
And so they immediately began to tell him who people thought he was. And obviously there were people who were confused. Now, they didn't mention this, but there were some people who accused Jesus of being a devil. Uh, There were some people who thought very wicked things about Jesus. Are there people like that today? There are. There are people who think Jesus was a liar. There are people today who think Jesus is a liar. They think he's a lunatic. They think he's a fraud. There are all these things. But they only mention the positive things. They said, well, there's some who think you are a John. John the Baptist, who's who's now been beheaded. Some who think uh, you are um, Elijah, the prophet. That's a good thing. That's positive, wasn't it? Some think you're the prophet Jeremiah because of your characteristics and traits. Well, those are all positive things. Good people. Uh, You know what? They're still wrong. That's not who Jesus was. And just like people then, there are people today who have positive things to say about Jesus. They'll say, oh, Jesus was a wonderful teacher. Oh, yes. Uh, He taught moral truth. And oh, if we could just be more like Jesus, how wonderful this world would be. Taught some wonderful things. But yet they don't really know who Jesus is. While they may be sincere in their uh, views of Jesus and who they think Jesus is, they are not biblical in what they understand about who Jesus is. And dear friend, you know what that makes them? Lost. That makes people who don't understand who Jesus is still lost. And so that's why we have the responsibility and privilege of sharing the gospel of who Jesus is. But then Jesus asked a second important question. The most important question to his disciples, who do, and this, by the way, in the original language is, it receives great emphasis, who do you say that I am? Again, it's not enough just to know what other people think about Jesus. We must personally know who Jesus is. And so Peter got it right. He answered correctly. He said, you are the Christ. And again, the, 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 in the original language, the word you, you are the Christ. Uh, who is the Christ? We, another way of saying this is Messiah. You are, the, you are Israel's Messiah. You are the long-awaited one, the promised one, the one in Scripture whom we are told that we've been looking for and waiting for. You are the Messiah. And so he got that right, but he didn't stop there. He went on to say, you are the son of the living God. Now, there were probably people who thought Jesus was the Messiah. And by the way, I won't really get into uh, detail on this, but in the last verse, Jesus said, don't tell people I'm the Messiah. That may sound strange to our ears, but obviously that's not our commission. We are to tell people he is Messiah and Christ. But Jesus was speaking to these people, again, because of the misunderstanding of so many of the people of this day about who the Messiah was. And they were looking for, as we know, and you see it happen several times in the gospel, they were looking for a political Messiah who would overthrow the Roman government and restore Israel and who would be a king uh, for them, a literal reigning king in, in Israel. And so he did, that's not why Jesus came. And so that's why he told them not to. And even the disciples kept getting this wrong. Even they kept misunderstanding who he was as Messiah and what he, his purpose was. But, but when Peter added those words, the son of the living God, he was identifying Jesus to be fully God and fully human. Fully God and fully human. And again, that is absolutely important, absolutely essential. You read uh, the book of uh, 1 John that talks about, again, how we must confess Jesus as 
Lord. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, uh, Paul wrote by the Spirit's inspiration, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So, dear friend, this confession, Jesus is affirming this to be the confession of his church. Uh, And again, it's essential to salvation. We cannot be saved apart from understanding who Jesus is. And we are to confess that uh, with our mouth, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, because it is an expression of our heart uh, that we come to understand who Jesus is in order to repent of our sin and place our faith in Christ. Well, not only is that essential to salvation, but it's also essential to church membership, to be able to, uh, to carefully understand who Jesus is and to confess that. And um, again, uh, that is why, uh, that is where the local church's responsibility comes in. Again, we must very carefully, as we're going to see in in the last point as well, uh, examine people to be sure they understand that they have the right confession of who Jesus is. And quite frankly, and I, uh, I stand before you as, as a man who's been a pastor for now a number of years, and I have to acknowledge to you that even uh, in my past and, and as a pastor, I think we have largely failed in this regard in making certain people fully understand who Jesus is, why he came, and that they have a personal uh, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the local church needs to ask the same question uh, that Jesus asked Peter. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you understand the gospel? And we'll, again, talk about that a little bit more. But, but we also have the great assurance here in verse 17. Notice what, how Jesus responded. He said, blessed are you. Uh, Simon uh, Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The Bible says that the, that the gospel, uh, that, that, that we are not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so obviously Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you come, you've come to understand this, not just because you're such a smart guy, because quite frankly, I think we have enough evidence to know that Peter wasn't always such a smart guy. And we can say, hey, I identify with Peter, right? Uh, and, and so if you're here today and you know Jesus, you have come to understand who Jesus is and you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, then you too should be praising the Lord along with Peter because you didn't come up with this because you're a great intellect. Because that's not how we come to faith in Christ. We come to faith in Christ through the work of the Spirit of God. The Word of God uh, exposed to our, our human spirit, causing us to realize we're sinners and that we need the gospel that Jesus loved us, died for us, rose again because we know and we come to realize we're separated from God, deserving of eternal hell. And the work of God's Spirit reveals to us who Jesus is, reveals to us who we are apart from Him and our need for Him and draws us to faith in Christ. And, and so that's exactly what happens. But again, we share the gospel and we leave the work of the Spirit of God in the hearts of people and He does his work. But when we ask people, who do you say that Jesus is? Their answer and their understanding of the gospel is absolutely essential in determining whether they are qualified 
for church membership. Well, let me just ask you today before we move to the next point, who do you say Jesus is? Do you know? Can you answer that question? And, and can you answer the question today, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? You see, I believe that, again, this is an area that we sometimes have neglected in regard to just helping people to fully understand who Jesus is, what the gospel is. That is absolutely essential. Jesus affirms the confession of his church. But notice, second, Jesus identifies the foundation of his church. Jesus identifies the foundation of his church. Uh, again, he, he affirms uh, uh, the, this confession and congratulates Peter on, on the, uh, and, and rejoices with him that the Spirit of God, the work of the Father, uh, has revealed to him who Jesus is. But then, in verse, notice verse 18. And Jesus said, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You are Peter. Peter. And again, uh, some of you are familiar with that, but this is the, the, the Greek word used here is the word petros. It means little rock, loose stone. Jesus called Peter, not for the first time here. He'd already called him Peter, uh, little rock, little loose stone. And uh, Jesus had given him this name. But then Jesus said, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, we believe in the verbal inspiration of Scripture. That means we believe every word that is in the original uh, text was chosen by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit purposefully in inspiring uh, this book uh, to uh, Matthew uh, and, and, and in uh, quoting the Lord Jesus here uh, indicated that, that uh, the first word for rock uh, is petros. The second word is petra, a different word for rock. And so this word means bedrock, foundation stone. So it's a different word. And the, and, the, and the Holy Spirit's choosing a different word is an indication to us that Jesus is not saying that Peter is the foundation of the church. He said, in essence, he's saying, you are a small rock, and on this large foundation stone, on myself, and on the, on the fact that I am, as you have confessed, the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. I believe Jesus is declaring here that he is the foundation. And this confession of who he is uh, and understanding who he is is absolutely essential. First Corinthians 3.11 says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is, which is Jesus Christ. Well, this, true, this is true, the foundation of the church, whether you're talking about, again, the local church, whether you're talking about the church at large, the universal church as we sometimes refer to it, uh, Jesus is the foundation of his church. What is, the, what is the local church application of that? Why is that important? Again, a biblical church is to be always Christ-centered and not man-centered. And our desire as a church is to always say what pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. What honors the Lord Jesus Christ? And again, as we think about this matter of membership, what, what pleases the Lord Jesus is when we seek to be obedient to his word, when we seek to honor him and obey what scripture says his church is to be, and when we seek to build uh, or be, uh, cooperate with him uh, in building his church on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, Jesus claims responsibility for building his church. 
Jesus claims responsibility for building his church. Notice he says, again, in the next part there, verse 18, he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is the architect. He is the builder of his church because he said, I will build my church. Remember we said ecclesia means an assembly of citizens regularly summoned. And so, so again, when you think about the church, uh, remember that a church is not an organization, okay? Why? Because an organization can be stale. It can be, as I mentioned earlier, the Lions Club. But a church is not merely a club or an organization. A church is a living organism. It is infused with the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why later uh, we'll see that Jesus referred to the church and Scripture refers to the church as the body of Christ. Uh, it's, it's not a place. And interestingly, uh, actually, the word that we now use for the word church did come from a word, the, that, uh, uh, the Latin word, I believe, kirk, which does mean a place. But ecclesia doesn't mean a place, does it? It means a people. Uh, and so what is Jesus saying here? I believe Jesus is saying, you leave the building of my church to me. Now, we have a role, to, obviously, and responsibility, don't we? Again, that's obedience to Christ. And, uh, and Jesus chooses to use us uh, as a part of, uh, of his instruments in building his church. He said in 1 Peter 2, 5, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So God uses us as we're obedient to the Great Commission and share the gospel and people understand the gospel, repent of their sin, place their faith in Christ, then they are added to his church uh, as, uh, as we see in the book of Acts. And, uh, and, they, and so his church is built up. He uses us. And so we must cooperate with him. We must be obedient to him. And, and uh, Hunter challenged you last week about the, the harvest. We have a responsibility uh, to be laborers in his harvest. He sends us forth into the harvest to impact people with the gospel. So, uh, but also this passage, one phrase reminds us of, once again, who owns the church? Jesus does, doesn't he? He said, I will build whose church? My church. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we sometimes refer to it as my church. I'm going to my church. I want to worship with my church. And we understand what we mean. But be careful that you don't think of it as ownership because none of us own the church. Jesus is the owner of the church. He has purchased it, the Bible says, with his own precious blood. He is the owner of the church. That is why, again, uh, it is precious and why we want to be a part of what Jesus uh, has endorsed and what Jesus has purchased with his own blood. We should not, as the attitude of some today, move away from what, what Jesus has purchased regardless of what happens. We, we, uh, we're to be a part of his church because Jesus loves the church and gave himself for it. He's purchased it with his own blood. Well, since this church is his and all true biblical churches are his, don't you believe that Jesus is worthy of a pure bride? He calls it the bride of Christ. Isn't he worthy of a pure bride? Isn't Jesus worthy of a pure body? Absolutely. Isn't he worthy of a pure building, as he refers to the church as the temple of God? Isn't he worthy of a pure temple? Uh, yes, he is. So how does that happen? Well, as we submit to his lordship, 
and, and, uh, and, and, and cooperate with him as he uses us as instruments in building according to his plan and his word. And we, all, and we need to take our hands off his bride, amen, and off his body. It's, it's his. It belongs to him. And so we need to act like it belongs to him and not like it belongs to us. We shouldn't be trying to uh, have it our way. We should want to have it his way because it's his body, his bride, his church. And that's what we desire in this process of this membership matters is, is that we want to be a pure body, a pure bride, a pure temple to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he claims responsibility. And that ought to bring us great comfort. I know we've, we've all been concerned, and, and rightly so, about our church. We want to see God bless and honor. So let's seek to honor him and ask him to use us in building his church here for his honor and glory. Number four, Jesus promises victory to his church. He promises victory to his church. Notice he, he goes on to say he, he, that uh, he said, I will build my church. Notice that he says, and he said, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. If you have the King James Version uh, and maybe even uh, ESV, I think it uses the word hell, the gates of hell. The word for Hades there is, is actually the word uh, for death, or it speaks of death. Uh, and notice the gates of hell. Now, you know, some, some people uh, sort of picture this as being the, the church is kind of held up in a fort, right? And they picture the enemy Satan coming against and attacking the church. Well, we've got a lot of military folks in our church family, and, and so let me ask you uh, retired military folks and any active military people here, uh, have, do you know of any weapons in the U.S. arsenal known as gates? Have you ever known of, uh, uh, you know, a, an army to come together and the, uh, you know, the commanding officer says, okay, men, ladies, uh, soldiers, uh, let's, uh, let's get our gates ready. We're going into battle. No, I don't think you ever heard that because gates are not uh, defensive. Uh, excuse me, gates are not offensive. Gates are defensive. So, so again, when you think about the gates of hell, you think about the, the, the uh, death, uh, actually. And, and again, Jesus has overcome death, hell, and the grave. One pastor rendered it this way. He said, he paraphrased it by saying, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, the gates of death will not be able to withstand the church's frontal attack. You see, God has not called us to be held up in the fort, all right? He's called us to aggressively attack the, the, the enemy's camp in the sense of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So we go forth with the gospel. And when we share the gospel with people who do not know Christ, they repent of their sin, place their faith in Christ, surrender to him as Lord, then we are attacking, if you will, the gates of hell, the gates of death. And, and so Jesus is promising victory to us. All but one of the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 were promised by the Lord Jesus to, to overcome, to conquer. Revelation 2, 11, 12, 11, uh, 12, 11 says, and they, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And so this is a great comfort to us uh, as a local church as well, uh, that the Lord Jesus has promised victory to his church. Now, his church will victoriously 
uh, fulfill the Great Commission until Jesus comes. Now, it is true that some local churches, many local churches will be born. And we know that even in our day, we've said, I believe it's close to a thousand churches every day die. And many Southern Baptist churches every year uh, give up their ministry. I heard of one the other day that was uh, uh, about to put their property up for sale and were getting ready to close their doors. Some of you have been a part of churches in the past that have, have, have discontinued your ministry. Uh, and, 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 you know, as, as we think about that in regard to our own church, and I, uh, as I'm praying about this and seeking God's direction on it, uh, uh, we talked about this in our class this morning, uh, I believe that we should always pray for what will bring God the greatest glory. What do you believe would bring God greatest glory? Well, in my heart, I believe what would bring God greatest glory for Lucy Baptist Church is for our church to be revived. Amen? For our church to be revitalized. For our church to be an effective tool of, of fulfilling the Great Commission. So that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for revival. And so let me encourage you to pray with me that he will get glory by reviving us and using us and, and enabling us to be a biblically healthy church so that we can fulfill the Great Commission. And I'm certainly not saying we're not doing any of those things. I'm grateful for, for the opportunities that God's given us and the obedience that we have uh, already and going locally, but again, to the ends of the earth. But we want to be more effective. We want to be more fruitful, and we want to be more biblically healthy. Uh, and then number five, and finally, Jesus gives authority to his church. Now, verse 19 again, uh, some, as I uh, didn't many mention earlier, some believe that, that uh, the Roman Catholic Church particularly believes that, that this, this passage teaches that Peter is the foundation. We don't believe that's what he's saying, uh, and, and, and nor do we believe verse 19 is saying that Peter in, in himself alone uh, received the keys of the kingdom. But look at verse 19. He said, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, what are, what are keys? Well, uh, that's not real hard, is it? Keys are used for doing what? Opening doors, right? And uh, typically, uh, keys also are an indication of authority, a sign of authority. And so, uh, so that's what Jesus is promising here to his church. He's promising authority to his church. And what Jesus goes on to say here in verse 19, and let me just give you a, a, a literal understanding of this verse. Literally, what he's saying is, whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. As Jesus was speaking these words, Jesus was on the earth, but he spoke on behalf of heaven. And Jesus is saying, church, I'm giving you the same authority. I'm giving you the same authority to speak on behalf of heaven. And as this applies to the local church and particularly to, uh, to membership, uh, when, when we are dealing with people who are interested and express a desire to become a part of the local church, then, then again, we, uh, we speak to them, and as we share the gospel with them, but we sense that they don't have a clear understanding of the gospel or who Jesus is, then we're, we have to uh, say, uh, on the authority of, of his word, we want to give you some more time. We, we don't believe you're quite ready there. And we've had to do that in some cases because we want people to be true biblical members and have a clear understanding of, 
uh, of who Christ is and what the gospel is. Um, and so we might say, we're, well, let's continue to work through this. Let's continue to share the gospel. Uh, on the other hand, those who do uh, indicate an understanding of the gospel, they do give it a testimony of having repented of their sin, placing their faith in Christ. They seem to understand clearly who Jesus is. Then Jesus is giving the authority of that local church to say, on behalf of heaven, we, we believe you're a brother in Christ. We believe you're a sister in Christ. We affirm uh, your profession on the, on the faith based on your repentance and faith. We believe, because this is what the Bible says a believer is, we, ha- we believe that you are a believer, the best we can know. And, and when a church receives members uh, who profess faith in Christ, what they are in essence doing is they are endorsing them as a representative or an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ because that is what we are as the church. That is who we are to represent. So Jesus gives us this authority, these keys, this authority as a church. We know he also gave us the authority according to the Great Commission. Uh, in Matthew 28, Jesus said, "In uh, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has given us the authority to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, proclaim the gospel, and then to baptize people. That's why we believe baptism is a local church ordinance, something that we are to do with new believers. He's given us, as we see in, in Matthew 26, the, uh, also the authority uh, to uh, observe and celebrate the Lord's Supper together as, as uh, believers, as a testimony as well of our uh, relationship uh, with Christ. And, and so these are aspects of our authority as a local church and why membership, once again, is so very Important. We won't get into it today, but in Matthew 18, uh, verses 15 to 20, Jesus again uses very similar language about the keys of the kingdom and of the authority. He's given the local church the authority to practice church discipline. When members uh, are unwilling to repent or to be restored uh, to uh, right relationship after, after repeated uh, loving efforts of doing that, then he gives the church that responsibility and that authority, if you will, uh, to practice church discipline. Uh, and um, again, uh, we are, what he's basically saying here is that we are responsible for each other and we are accountable to each other. That's why membership is so important. Uh, it, it's something we are uh, responsible for each other. We're accountable to each other. In his book, Church Membership, Jonathan Lehman said, church membership is all about a church taking specific responsibility for you and you for a church. And when you start getting into the different metaphors of what the church is, then you can understand that makes more sense, like the body, the, the family, of God, the, uh, the, the vine, all these various metaphors that Jesus gave us. We are responsible for each other and to each other and, and uh, to care for one another. That's why we need to know who the church is so that we can fulfill our responsibility as a church to care for one another in the way that Jesus has commanded us. Uh, Lehman went on to say, we don't join a church like we join a club. We submit to a church. Uh, you know, that, that word submission has kind of fallen on negative uh, attitudes today. Many don't like that word, submit. But really, every institution that God has made calls for s- 
submission, doesn't it? Think about the, the country. God instituted the, the nation. He instituted government. And we submit to our government. And, and maybe don't, we don't always do it real well, but every year when you send in that income tax check, you are submitting to your government. Uh, you, you hopefully drive the speed laws because you're submitting it. And when you look in your rearview mirror and you see that blue light, hopefully you pull over, right? You're submitting. And, uh, and also, in a sense, we're committing, aren't we, as well, uh, to, to be a citizen. Marriage is another institution that God has ordained. We submit in marriage. Uh, wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to submit to the Lord. And, and, uh, and so there is uh, this aspect of submission even in marriage. And again, uh, it, it calls for committing. Commitment is, in, is called for in submission. You see, that's why today so many people don't want marriage. They, they want the, they, that's why so many today are living together without the benefit of marriage. They want the, uh, they want the privileges of marriage, but they just don't want the commitment of marriage. They don't want the responsibility. And you know, that's a, the way some people treat church membership. They like, the, they, they like the, the privileges. They like the benefits. They like the, the blessings, so to speak, of the church. They just don't want the commitment to the church. They, they, they want to be able to come and go as they please and feel no responsibility, no accountability, no connection, uh, and be able to get the benefits without the responsibility. But you know what, folks? That is not biblical. That's not what God's called for. God's called us to be committed to his local church. And membership really does matter. So I want to ask you some questions today as we prepare to close today. First of all, who do you say that Jesus is? Do you have the right confession today about who Jesus is? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Have you confessed him as your Lord? Have you uh, repented of your sin, placed your faith in Christ, believed that Jesus is Lord and, and surrender to his lordship. If not, do you sense your need today? Are you willing today, by the work of God's Spirit, to come today, uh, turning from your sin and trusting in Christ? And then again, as you think about that, have you submitted to biblical church membership? Do you see the need for that? If you have, are you carrying out your responsibilities? And have you uh, submitted to that a as a believer? And do you, do you rejoice in that? And uh, if not, will you? Do you see today the need for that commitment? Because it's important uh, to carry out what Jesus has commissioned us and commanded us to do. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.